guys who left the fridge door open fuck it's freezing what is going on what's up guys it is friday <laughs> like my sister and i were talking about this i legitimately lost a day this week i don't know where the fuck wednesday went but it poof gone so i know that i promised that i would do these podcasts every wednesday but uh, yeah, life happens, guys. So here we are. Uh, as I said, it's Friday morning. So, and I'm literally, I'm, I'm in a blanket fort. Yo, I'm in a fucking blanket fort with my hair in a pony on the top of my head. Please take a moment to close your eyes and visualize this. Um, looking very, very sexy indeed. So I told my husband I'm doing my podcast this morning. And he's like, oh, well, you're not going to be able to do your wine with your podcast. So I was like, fuck, that's a good point. So he sees me getting the champagne out this morning. He's like, Sheena, what are you doing? I'm like, it's for the podcast. He's like, are you seriously going to have champagne at half past eight in the morning? I'm like, no, I'm going to have a mimosa. I'm not a fucking animal. God. So with that being said, let me pour my mimosa. And the best part is that no one is here to judge my champagne to orange juice ratio. The secret, ladies and gentlemen, is to use just enough orange juice to change the color of the champagne to a light orange. That way people think that you're being healthy, but in fact, you're just day drinking in the morning. Oh, this orange juice is really heavy. Okay, there we go. And we're done. Oh, it looks so good. Okay. Oh. Oh, I brushed my teeth, though. Oh, God, it tastes like 2020. Mm. Woo. Okay. Let's get into it, guys. Toxic relationships. Oh, my God. We could be here for days. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Um, so I'm going to talk about your relationship with yourself so if you are not in a relationship, I do feel like this is still a podcast that can really benefit you because first and foremost, most people nowadays, your relationship with yourself is your most toxic relationship. People are fucked up, guys, let's be honest. So I feel like everyone can benefit from this podcast and also what we are going to be going into is what are referred to as attachment styles in relationships. And if you can recognize your own attachment style prior to getting into a relationship, that will do you a fucking solid. Like if you know the 50 ways that you are fucked up before you get into a relationship, you won't be like blindsided when shit goes pear-shaped and you can actually figure stuff out. So um, settle in, pour yourself an alcoholic beverage, no matter what time of day it is. And let's get started. Okay. Now, toxic relationships. So what are, we, what are we talking about when we speak about a toxic relationship? Because I also feel like people throw around the word toxic a lot. Okay. Like everything nowadays is toxic. There's this whole cancel culture of, oh, if you don't like someone or if you think someone's toxic, you just cancel them, which I absolutely cannot stand. I think that is the most revolting concept in the fucking world. But anyway, that's for another podcast. So basically a toxic relationship is a relationship characterized by behaviors on the part of the toxic person in the relationship that are emotionally, can also be physically damaging to their partner, but we are going to focus more on the emotional damage that people do. And as I said, this can also be your relationship with yourself. I actually read something the other day that was so interesting and it went along the lines of if you were to write on your skin all the things that you say to yourself, would you be proud or would you be ashamed? And I know when I read that, I was like, oh my God. Firstly, I would end up in a mental institution because people would realize how fucked I am in the head. But secondly, it just put into perspective how 
how we speak to ourselves. And um, you need to speak to yourself the way that you would speak to someone else. And that is a rule that it is extremely difficult to stick to. I find myself still very frequently telling myself, oh my God, you're such a fucking idiot or oh, just snap out of it. Is that someone I'd say to some, is that something I would say to someone else? Probably. <laughs> but that's just me. But, and it's such a, it's such a, an easy way to start the journey of self-love and self-healing and self-acceptance without really having to put in a lot of work. So it is very overwhelming when you are tasked with having to change the way that you see yourself, view yourself, speak to yourself, love yourself, accept yourself. People are like, oh my God, where do I even start? That, if there's one thing that you can do, and this is something that I would encourage everyone to do, is start speaking to yourself the way that you would speak to someone you love. Because shocker you are someone you should love and if you're not that's a problem um it is something that I've been trying to practice actively for the last 18 months I have become a lot kinder with myself and a lot gentler with myself which oh, it sounded a little bit dirty sorry <clears throat> anyway um which it's hard guys it's really hard especially someone like me who it's 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 natural and comforting and almost humorous for me to be self-deprecating and to put myself down mostly because if I do it first when someone else does it or if someone else were to do it it wouldn't hurt as much which kind of ties into my my story that I spoke about during my codependency podcast the whole if I am given a Ferrari I'm going to drive it into a wall because I'm in control of the situation. It's the same, it's along that same thread of I would rather tell myself that I'm a dickhead so that if someone else says it to me, I'm like, oh, cool, I already knew that. But that is probably the worst possible thing that you could do. So if there's one thing that you take away from this podcast, I would encourage everyone to be kinder to yourself. If it is not something that you would say to another human being, do not say it to yourself. Um, another thing that I heard the other day, which just blew my fucking mind, and this is, it's so obvious, it's such an obvious thing. I heard someone say, they were talking about self-love and, and self-respect and treating yourself with kindness and first and foremost loving yourself before you love anyone else. And this person said, you are the only person who is with you from the moment you are born till the moment you die. And how is it that that is the relationship that is not given priority? How is it that that is the relationship that we neglect when you are literally the only fucking person you are going to have from the moment you are born to the moment you die? And when you think of it that way, you're like, holy shit. If you had someone else that... Someone says to you, okay, you have to, you are stuck with this person. You are stuck with this other person from now until the moment you die. You'd be like, oh my fuck, well, I better prioritize this relationship because if not, this person's going to fucking drive me insane. Hello, the person's you, okay? <laughs> so let's start that. Let's make a deal. We're going to start loving ourselves. We are going to start identifying toxic behaviors and toxic traits within ourselves. Things like self-deprecating, things like self-sabotage. And again, this ties into codependency because it is mostly codependent people who will self-deprecate and who will self-sabotage and who will self-neglect because, again, they find their self-worth and their value in that's right, other people. Well done, class, A plus. Okay, let's get started. <clears throat> I'm thirsty again. Okay, now we're going to talk about the various types of toxic relationships. Now, I was going to go into each one of these, but they are, I don't want to say obvious, but they are are kind of obvious. Um, 
these are your your typical standard cookie cutter toxic relationships. I'm going to touch on these, but what I'm going to get into for most of this podcast is attachment styles and how different attachment styles together are a total fuck up. But uh, you're probably asking what's an attachment style. We'll get into that. So talking about toxic relationships and to give you a few practical examples so that if you're still a little bit confused as to what a toxic relationship might look like or could be, these are the, as I said, quote unquote, cookie cutter kind of type of toxic people that you get. So the first one is the controller. I mean, I don't think that needs any explanation. Um, this is someone who is constantly trying to control your every move. And I hate this, but this says here, if you find someone who's constantly trying to control every move, run. I don't think you should necessarily run. And I'm going to put a disclaimer here. Most people, fuck that, everyone has toxic traits. Everyone. I have not met one person besides myself because I'm obviously fucking perfect. But everyone else, you will have a toxic trait. You might be slightly controlling. You might be a slight Debbie Downer. I'm talking about the extremes. I'm talking about someone who puts software on your phone so that they can track you, who picks your outfits for you because they want you to look a specific way, who eventually is not only controlling how you act and the words coming out of your mouth, but they actually start controlling your thoughts. And I know that this sounds completely bizarre to most people because in most situations it is, but there are people like that out there. When I'm talking about the controller, the Debbie Downer, all of these ones that I'm going to go through now, I'm talking about the extremes because everyone is a Debbie Downer every now and then. Everyone is slightly controlling. You know, oh, babe, you sure you're going to wear those Crocs out? You know, is that controlling or is that you just trying to ensure that you're going to have sex with your husband when you get home? You know, I mean, it's up for debate. So the controller, I'm talking about obsessive control over the other person in the relationship. And the thing with this is that in the beginning, and I, I've actually, I've seen this in the beginning, you think it's cute. You think, oh, he loves me so much that he doesn't want me to go out with my girls because he says that he'll miss me. Or, oh, he loves me so much. He bought me a whole new wardrobe because he wants to spoil me. You're like, hmm. Or <laughs> he's replaced all your V-necks with polar necks so that no one else looks at your titties. So just keep your wits about you guys. I mean, I feel like that one's pretty self-explanatory. Second one is the Debbie Downer. Again, a lot of people go through negative phases in their lives. You go through ebbs and flows and you might go through a little bit of a down patch where maybe you do kind of see more negative things than you do positive. You're a little bit, you know, on the depressed side. You're not motivated. Maybe you are between jobs or you don't have any inspiration. That's fine. That's cool. I'm talking about someone who is incessantly negative who suck the fun out of life and drain the shit out of you constantly and you're constantly having to be the positive influence and constantly having to be the happy person in the relationship I mean just saying this out loud I'm exhausted it's it's not it's not difficult to see that that is not sustainable in a relationship because either you are going to become that person's fixer and then that feeds back into codependency or you are going to get despondent and they are going to drag you down with them and you are going to begin to become a Debbie Downer as well. So that's one to look, that's one to look for. Number three, the liar. Okay, I mean, like, <laughs> this is it's pre pretty self-explanatory. Um, I... <laughs> I have a little bit of a different uh, opinion about lying. And when I say lying, I mean, oh God, my husband's going to have a stroke. But if it's, I honestly truly believe that if it is something that 
will not benefit the other person to know. That is something that if they don't know, will not affect their life. And it's something that you can protect them from. I am very much on the fence as to whether you should tell your spouse absolutely fucking everything or not. I'd imagine when I put it that way, I'm not really speaking about lying. I'm perhaps speaking more about omissions. But again, this is the extreme. I'm not talking about when you bake a cake and you accidentally use flour and then your husband asks, is it gluten-free? And you're like, oh, yeah. And then maybe spend some time on the toilet. I'm, I mean, this is just an example that I've thought of on the fly. Um, that kind of thing, you know, that's not the kind of lie we're talking about. I'm talking about blatant lying and manipulation. And if you catch someone out in a massive, massive, massive lie, look, each to their own. Some people think that a liar can be rehabilitated or can change. Some people think that once you cross that line, there's no going back. You need to know that for yourself and you need to have that healthy boundary. Listen to podcast three, yo. You need to have that healthy boundary in place before you even start the relationship so that if that person crosses the line, you can be like, cheers, fucker, I'm out. Uh, the perfectionist, <clears throat> like me. No, I'm joking. Um, again, oh, sorry, my hips are already seizing. God. Again, I'm not talking about someone who is pedantic about what they look like and, you know, is maybe a little bit anal about, you know, certain things in the house and maybe has some OCD. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who literally is such a perfectionist that it actually starts affecting their ability to live a normal and fulfilling life. And if you are their partner, you are going to become part of that perfect picture and you're going to become a little bit of a project. Um, so yeah, that doesn't sound fun. You'll never be good enough for someone like that. And that is, that can destroy a person after a while. So, um, yeah, got to bounce the manipulator. Okay. This is, this isn't a very straightforward one. Um, manipulation, especially if it is done by someone who is a narcissist or someone who is who has high uh, emotional intelligence most of the time you don't even know what's happening until it's too late with someone like that they use manipulation techniques that are so subtle that most of the time you either need someone else to point it out for you or you need to be so fucking in tune with yourself and with your intuition that you look at the situation and you're like, no, something's not right here. We will have, a, I'm going to have a whole podcast on um, manipulation techniques, manipulation in a relationship, things like gaslighting, um, things like stonewalling, things like ghosting. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard a few of these terms, if not extremely interesting. I, in fact, was guilty of gaslighting. I, I, I gaslighted, gaslit, gaslitten my husband for months, months until my therapist pointed it out. And I was like, well, fuck. So it's not to say that any, we are too good to do these things. Sometimes you do them without even realizing what you're doing, which is what this podcast is all about is awareness raising awareness, and having an excuse to drink. Okay. Mm. Anyway. Okay, the manipulator. The binge drinker. Mm. Let's just skip that one. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that. The crazy competitor. Also, is there something wrong with that? Mm, I don't know. Um, being competitive in your life, I don't think is a, is a, a bad thing. Being competitive in your relationship... Eh, that, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, obviously, Zhuang and I are not competitive because I am just the best at everything, and he has resigned himself to that fact. Um, but, guys, a relationship is supposed to be a team effort. You're supposed to be a team. It's not supposed to be a competition. So if you have someone who is always trying to one-up your accomplishments instead of congratulating you on them, or whenever you have a story, they are only listening to wait for a gap so that they can tell their better version. 
that's unfair and that's unhealthy and that is usually someone who didn't get enough uh, love and recognition for their accomplishments as a child and they are then trying to constantly one-up everyone in their adult life because they have a, a childhood wound, a, a um, a, a core wound. Again, I've got a whole podcast on childhood trauma, core wounds, and triggers. I'm actually super excited for that one, and I am trying to get a guest on to speak so that you don't have to listen to my voice constantly every week. Um, although I know you guys love it. Number nine, the abuser. I mean, I literally don't have to go into that. Someone puts their hands on you punch them in the face and the insecure one um again this is something that can seem endearing and cute in the beginning someone who is jealous um jealousy sometimes can be sexy you know like if you if you haven't been in a relationship for a long time and suddenly you have someone who is jealous and who is worried about what you look like when you go out and who's messaging you that's a bit that's an ego boost of course it's an ego boost it's naturally going to be an ego boost but it wears off after a while it's it's cute to a point it's like the the controlling as well like it's cute to a point oh they're doing it because they love me but yeah insecurity jealousy trust issues in a relationship are are a disaster um so yeah that's pretty much so hopefully that gives you um a better idea of what your typical toxic relationship um is like i mean those are very kind of straightforward i want to say obvious examples or as my uh, brother-in-law says obvious um but now i want to get into attachment styles and this is where most of the uh content for this podcast is going to come from now attachment styles there, there's so much information out there about this guys like there's actually a book called attached um which I am definitely, definitely going to be reading. But to understand, so your attachment style is the style that you use or the way in which you, quote unquote, attach to someone that you are in a relationship with. And our attachment systems are basically the pattern of emotions and behaviors and thought processes that bring us closer or attach us to our loved ones so remember this isn't just a romantic relationship you will have an attachment style with basically everyone that you have some kind of a connection or relationship with it is however most prominent obviously in your um, romantic relationship because that's a person that you spend the most amount of time with now, your attachment system, and this is where shit goes pear-shaped because you're like, oh my fuck, how am I supposed to change that? Your attachment system activates as a child, as a, even as a baby, okay? Your attachment system activates when your mother leaves. It stays active through the period that your mother is away from you and until she comes back and establishes, reestablishes contact with you. And the exact same thing happens with adults and their romantic partners. Please just think about that for a moment. How fucking crazy is that? So when your mother le left you as, a, as, a, as an infant or as a child, as a toddler, the way that your brain and your body regulated that distance, that is your attachment style. And it will either be a healthy or unhealthy attachment style. That is then programmed in your brain, in your subconscious, into your body, physiologically, that when you have a romantic relationship as an adult and that person leaves, I'm not saying leaves like breaks up with you, I'm saying they, they, they create distance, whether it be for a day or for a couple hours or whatever the case may be. Whenever you have distance from that person, the same attachment system is activated holy shit how cool is this cuck anyway okay so all of our patterns of emotions and behaviors 
right, come from our attachment system and our attachment style. So we need to look at whether our attachment style is healthy or unhealthy. If it is unhealthy, we need to determine how we can seek to change that. Bearing in mind, as I just said, this is something that was programmed into as an infant. This is not going to be an overnight fix, y'all. Like most people will go, will go their entire lives with the same attachment style. Being aware of it already makes the situation a lot better. Being able to change it is extremely difficult, but possible. But if you know your attachment style, you can pick a partner that you know is compatible with you because there are some attachment styles that when they go together are an absolute clusterfuck. Okay, we'll get into that. Anyway, now I know that I spoke about codependency in podcast number two. If you haven't listened to it, you should. But dependency on another person in a healthy relationship actually makes us stronger. So you are going to have an attachment to your, to your romantic partner. If you don't have an attachment to your romantic partner, then they are not your romantic partner. You need to make sure that that attachment is a solid attachment, that your dependency on each other is healthy, which seems like a paradox. It really does. You know, dependency makes us stronger. But in reality, that is the truth of the situation. When we have a solid attachment with our romantic partner and we know that they are there to support us and care for us and love us and we are also there for them in that way, we actually become stronger. So by depending on someone else in a healthy way, it actually makes the relationship stronger. Um, a simple uh, kind of analogy that you can think of is uh, a solid romantic relationship for humans is pretty much like a solid foundation for a house. So if you're building that house on a solid foundation, it is going to it is going to be a lot stronger. Um, now, let's get into the attachment styles, right? And I am reading off of notes now because there's so much juicy information here. Oh my God. Okay. There are four types of attachment styles. Okay. And the research, the research, the Google said that 50% of people are secure, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. 25% are avoidant, 20% are anxious, and the rest fall into a disorganized category, which is you have unhealthy traits from both avoidant and anxious. Right. Anxious. Put up your hand, y'all. This is also called, so this is called anxious or addicted. Love addicted or love anxious. And then the other one is love avoidant, right? So love anxious. This is me. This is so me. Like, I feel like, uh, I feel attacked every time I read about love addicted and love anxious. But anyway, so is this you? Let's have a listen. Love of, love uh, anxious. They want and can be very close. They fear that their partner doesn't want the same. They get attached very, open bracket, to, close bracket, quickly. Relationship takes a lot of energy away from the person. You are extremely sensitive to your partner's moods. You tend to spot moods or think that you have spotted a mood early but you are often wrong you experience many negative emotions you misbehave <laughs> oh sorry not that kind of misbehave <clears throat> you say things you regret you feel like there is something wrong with you it is important to note that if your partner listen to this now provides all of the security and reassurance that you need. Anxious individuals will drop most of their insecurities. This is why an anxious, a love addicted or love anxious person is best with a secure attachment. Okay. 
So best you go and find someone who's not fucked up. <laughs> they can help you. So a secure person. So th- if, you, if you're thinking of, think of a spectrum. So anxious is like upper left side, way left, right? Now we're in the middle. Now we're in that, the happy place. This is secure. Naturally warm and loving. Enjoys intimacy. Not too worried about the relationship's ups and downs. And knows that they are normal. Can regulate their emotions. They can communicate their needs effectively. They are good at supporting their partner. And they have a realistic view of blame. Listen, I am yet to meet a secure attached person. Okay. Anyway. Then we have avoidance. (laughs) Y'all are dicks. I'm just saying. I, listen, disclaimer. I will never, ever, ever, ever be able to understand an avoidant person but it's because I'm an anxious person like I am all over you like fucking white on rice this whole oh things are getting too much I'm gonna fucking bounce and ghost you for two weeks doesn't compute with me do not like it just anyway so now we're on the other side of the spectrum right now we're on the right and way right so Avoidant person. Puts independence and autonomy above all, including their relationship. They want to be close. Okay? They want to be close. But they feel uncomfortable with too much intimacy. They are not worried about relationship ups and downs. They don't open up. They worry about the relationship becoming suffocating or becoming a cage. They have an ideal true love that they never meet okay oh they feel that there's something wrong with the partner that they're with so whereas an anxious person will think that they are the problem constantly the avoidant person will think that the the other person is the problem constantly they tend to be less happy and satisfied in a relationship okay so they have a a low emotional connection. An anxious person has a high emotional connection. Too high. Too emotional. But avoidance is the other end of the spectrum. Low emotional connection. Okay. Now, an anxious person, I'm saying most of the time, and this is not my professional fucking opinion this is just from the people i've met and the experiences i've had this is what i've noticed is that anxious people come from a background where they always felt like they were walking on eggshells so a broken home or where a parent was perhaps an alcoholic or abusive where a parent had a very short fuse where Your future was uncertain because your parents were separating or fighting. You were constantly moving. You will then become anxious because you are constantly trying to close the space between you and the people you love. You constantly think everyone's going to leave you. You constantly think everyone is mad at you. You constantly think that everyone is one foot out the door, even when they're not. You have this inherent fear in the back of your mind. An avoidant person usually, and as I'm saying, this is from my experience, an avoidant person usually goes through something that breaks them. They will have had perhaps a secure attachment or they will have had more of a healthy attachment. They will have loved someone or relied on someone or cared for someone and that person abandoned them or broke their heart or disappointed them or left them and they then feel that they cannot get close to anyone again for fear of that same feeling of abandonment so they put up walls basically I'm sure by now you can understand how those two together are an absolute fucking shit show like I can't I cannot even tell you the number of friends that I have and have had who have had this problem. And funnily enough, I find that I make friends or become extremely close with other 
people who have the same attachment style as me. I find that you you gravitate towards people who have the same attachment system that you do. So I am very, very good friends, mostly with people who are also uh, anxious or love addicted. And they somehow, some fucking how, we always find these avoidant assholes. Always. The number of conversations I've had with friends where I'm like, I can, I can hear that you are trying to close the space between the two of you and the other person is running in the other direction. And the faster you run towards them, the faster they're going to fucking run the, the other way. But it's so easy to point it out and to explain it to someone else, but to actually practice it is damn near almost impossible. So I found a, um, a very interesting post on Instagram the other day uh, by someone by the name of Neil Strauss. Uh, he's fantastic. You should follow him. So he basically does a uh, seven phase. Is it seven phase? Yeah, seven phases of a relationship between a love avoidance and a love addict, which it's, it's basically anxious. It's, you can interchange those two. So phase one, let me know if this strikes a chord, if this makes you feel attacked. Phase one, love avoidance connects behind a wall of seduction, blocking intimacy. Okay, so they might seem very emotional off the bat. They will declare that they love you. They will send you beautiful messages. They will give you a lot of attention. But behind that wall of seduction, behind the smoke and mirrors, they are actually doing that to block real intimacy. Love addict connects in a haze of fantasy. So you and, and, and they feed into one another because as a as a love addict, you want the fairy tale. You want someone who says, I loved you the moment I saw you. You know, I, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. You want that. You want that. So that is the fantasy. And guess what? That is exactly what the love avoidant gives you in the beginning. They love bomb the shit out of you so that they don't have to actually show real intimacy and real vulnerability. And you just eat that shit up with a spoon, yo. You're like, oh my God, it's my Prince Charming. <laughs> like, it's so amazing. Meanwhile, you have no fucking clue what's going on. Okay, so both of those, the love avoidant connects behind a wall of seduction. The love addict connects in a haze of fantasy. Both of those block real intimacy. There's no real intimacy there. It's all just a shit show. Phase two, love avoidant becomes overwhelmed by the partner's neediness and moves from wall of seduction to wall of resentment. Okay. The love addict at the same time denies the partner's walls and denies the partner's need to have a life outside of the relationship. So here the love avoidant is like, holy shit. Okay. This is getting a bit much now. This is like a little bit hectic. I need to take a step back. And the love addict is like, <laughs> no, fuck you. You said that you are my Prince Charming and you said that we are soulmates. So fuck you and your walls. I'm not allowing you to take a step back. Phase three. The love avoidant then enters the struggle phase. Torn between a sense of duty to the relationship and a desire for intensity outside of the relationship. You can see how this is going completely fucking sideways. The love addict enters a struggle as well, enters a struggle phase. But moving between pain due to the partner's distancing and relief when the partner seems closer. So now it's almost like a tango. So now the, the love addict is is moving between being depressed and sad and worried and anxious when the love avoidant moves away. And then has these moments of relief when the partner seems closer. And those moments of relief are so dangerous, guys, because, oh, you feel so good. You get a rush of serotonin and dopamine and all of these fucking hormones that make you dumb. And you forget the fact that they've been treating you like shit for the past three days and they haven't replied to any of your messages. 
and you're like, oh, no, he was just busy. But look now, look, now he he screenshotted a quote off of Instagram and sent it to me and now we're all better. Anyway, phase four, love avoidant, feels engulfed by their partner, withdraws from the relationship and craves intensity elsewhere. The love addict experiences an event that shatters the fantasy. So just a, a, an example I've been throwing around, the whole ghosting thing. This would be where the love avoidant ghosts, where the love avoidant will go, I'm out, this bitch be crazy. I don't know how, why is she so fucking attached to me? Meanwhile, you were like calling her your soulmate one week in, but whatever. Um, so he'll be like, I'm, I can't, I'm out, I can't. I keep telling you I need space and she doesn't listen. So the only way, and honestly, guys, I'm not condoning ghosting. I feel like ghosting is the biggest dick move on the face of the earth. But people who ghost have serious, serious emotional issues and seriously struggle to regulate their emotions. And usually when they get to the point where they ghost, it's because they have tried to move for space in the relationship in other ways, perhaps not the best ways and perhaps not very constructively, but they have tried desperately to move for space. And the anxious person is going, fuck you, I'm attached to you, you're never getting rid of me. And eventually, the love avoidant person is like, the only option I have is to actually just drop off the face of the earth and block her and whatever. And you might think that this person is being careless or heartless or being a, a, a horrible human being. The fact of the matter is, is that they do not know any different. They are backed into a corner and feel like they don't have any other choice. I'm not saying it's right. If you ever bump into them, feel free to knee them in the dick. But, and I'm saying like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being very sexist because I'm like, the way that I'm speaking, I'm saying that like, the woman is always the anxious and the male is always the avoidance. I'm saying that because that is the experience that I've had and that's the experience that my friends have been through. But that is obviously not necessarily the case. You can get men who are anxious and women who are avoidant. Absolutely. Especially more and more so now, nowadays. Right. So uh, that's phase four. Phase five, love avoidant, finds a way to create distance from the partner and abandon the relationship. As I said, the ghosting. The love addict feels the pain of abandonment, goes through withdrawal symptoms. Withdrawal symptoms, guys, you legitimately go through withdrawal symptoms as if you are coming off of drugs. Your brain goes through withdrawal of the serotonin and the dopamine and the rush of feel-good hormones that you get. You will find yourself thinking crazy things. Like, I mean, I had a friend say to me, she was driving and she thought to herself, maybe I should get into an accident, not a bad accident, but just hurt myself enough that someone would have to pick up the phone and phone Ben and let him know that I've been hurt and maybe that will bring him back. Like, are you... <laughs> Like, what? Wyatt, are you saying? No, you crazy ass bitch. Like, but that is how desperate you get. And I completely understand that. And I completely uh, sympathize with people who get to that point. But please don't get yourself into a car accident so that the person who's ghosted you will message you. God, please. Okay, phase six love avoidance. Searches for excuse to leave relationship. Love addict is preoccupied by thoughts of how to get the love avoidant person back and return to how things used to be. Again, because your brain is going through withdrawals and because your brain wants that hit of dopamine and serotonin and good feel hormones, your brain is going to trick you into only remembering the good times. Oh, how many times has this happened, yo? So suddenly you forget the fact that they're a giant asshole team, like 90% of the time. And you lie in bed and reminisce about the first week that was a beautiful fairy tale. Never mind the past nine months that have been a fucking nightmare. So that, again, is the love addict, is romanticizing everything, thinking back on the good times and trying to think of ways to get the love avoided back, such as get into a teeny tiny baby car accident. Phase seven, final phase, either... So remember with love avoidance and love addicts, this is a this is a pattern. This goes round and round and round and round. It's fucking miserable until someone breaks the cycle. You can have a love avoidance and a love addict person 
do this retarded tango for years, literally years. So either the love avoidant will re-enter the relationship out of duty, the love addict will re-enter the relationship out of fear of abandonment. And so the cycle will start again. They'll get back together. There'll be two weeks of, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And then guess what? The whole cycle starts again. Okay. I mean, how depressing is this when you hear it out loud? But it's, it is the truth. And it is, this makes up 40 to 50% of the, of the relationships in the world. I mean, it's just mind boggling. Or the love avoidant will leave the relationship. And will move to connect with a new partner because love avoidance, funnily enough, as much as they're avoidant, they really struggle to be alone. So a love avoidant you will find will jump from relationship to relationship very quickly. Also because they do not get severely emotionally attached like the love addict. They are able to jump from one relationship to the next because they aren't still recovering and trying to heal from the previous relationship. Whereas a love addict most of the time will be single for a time and will be really fucking miserable and useless trying to get over the relationship before they enter into another one. But the fact that they were abandoned by their previous partner just reinforces that fear of abandonment. So when they do find a new person, they're going to latch onto them again like a psycho. So the love avoidant will leave the relationship and moves on to connect with a new partner. The love addict uh, returns to the fantasy. So that's where someone will wallow in their own self-pity for months and months and months and talk about how they lost their soulmates and they'll never find anyone like them. Or they'll move on to a new relationship. Okay, now, the thing that I fucking loved about this post and the reason why I've spent the last eight minutes talking about this post is this. Someone then commented in the comment section and said, I would love to see this written out with love avoidance or love anxious, and a secure attachment style instead of just love avoidance and love addicts. And Neil Strauss, who is the author of this post, commented and said, phase one, love avoidance starts doing the above behaviors, secure attachment, recognizes pattern, and exits relationship. Fucking mic drop. Boom, baby. Done. And that blew my mind because that just shows that someone who has a secure attachment style coupled with someone who has a love avoidance or love anxious style, if they try in the relationship and it doesn't work, the secure attachment person will literally go, you know what, this is not for me and they will leave. Instead of this toxic absolutely toxic cycle that the two other attachment styles get into now as i said previously someone who has a secure attachment style can absolutely have a successful relationship with someone who is avoidant or someone who is anxious because the secure attachment person will regulate the other person i mean Guys, in a perfect world, two people who have secure attachment styles will come together and have an amazing relationship and it will all be unicorns and rainbows and everything will be fine and dandy. But I am yet to meet two people in a relationship who both have secure attachment styles. It is, I mean, I think it's like finding a fucking unicorn, honestly. Like, I don't think that that is something that you see very frequently. It is usually someone who has a secure attachment style who is then going to be with someone who is love avoidant or love anxious. And if they love that person enough and they're patient enough, they can perhaps help to regulate that person and help to encourage them to become a bit more secure. Or they're going to be like, I'm out, bitch, because you'll you be crazy. Okay. But most of the time. Mm. So... The first step is recognizing which one you are, okay? Are you secure? Are you anxious uh, or love addicted? Are you avoidant or are you disorganized? Disorganized is just a combination of the two. So you can oscillate between being avoidant and being anxious depending on the relationship and also depending on the situation. Um, that is a lot more confusing because you tend to change your attachment style based on the person that you 
are with and what their attachment style is. So your attachment style, as I said, it, it develops through a mix of influences. Genes actually play a part. Life experiences play a part. As I've said, how your parents raised you all contributes to determine your attachment style. And here's the thing, and this is what I said previously, 70 to 75% of adults will remain with the same attachment style during their life. Don't get despondent. It doesn't mean that it is not possible to change your attachment style. It is just extremely difficult, especially if it's something that is literally ingrained in you. I know for a fact, even now, I've been married for 10 years. I'm actually going to tell you guys a story. <laughs> My best friend is going to be like slamming her head into her steering wheel because when I told her this, she was like, Sheena, you are fucking crazy. So... I have had some negative experiences in the past with being blocked on WhatsApp. It's not fun. And if anyone knows this, I'm just going to explain. When someone blocks you on WhatsApp, if they did previously have a profile picture, like that little circle picture next to their name, if they did previously have a picture, one when they block you, that's one way to know if someone has blocked you, is that that picture will no longer be there. It will just be the that little outline that you have of the the person, which is what you have if you don't have a profile picture. But let's be honest, everyone has a profile picture. So that's one way to know if someone has blocked you guys. Just a little tip. Um, so <laughs> one day last week, I uh, my husband worked very late, almost every night last week. He had a hectic um, installation that he was doing. He owns an IT company. And he was really late the one night. I tried to phone him a couple times and he didn't answer. I found out later because he was literally like in a roof. But anyway, so I tried to phone him. He didn't answer, which is very unlike him. So I was like, that's a bit weird. So I went to WhatsApp to WhatsApp him just to say like, hey babe, are you okay? Like, should we wait for you for dinner? Blah, blah, blah. And as I open his chat, his profile picture is there, which was a profile, a picture of him doing CrossFit. And next thing, the picture just disappears. And here is this outline of like the little person that you get if you don't have a profile picture. And <laughs> my best friend laughed so hard. The first thing I thought was, oh my God, he's blocked me. <laughs> and when I told Maya, when I told my best friend, she was like, Sheena, you thought your husband, you thought your husband had blocked you. I was like, I don't know. I panicked. Okay. I just, I saw that his profile picture disappeared and it brought up all of these old emotions. And before I could stop the thought, it was there and it was, oh my God, he's blocked me. How fucking dumb, 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 dumb as hell. Turns out he had literally just removed his profile picture and he hadn't had time to pick a new one. Hello, like very reasonable explanation. But there I was anxious as fuck. Oh my God, my husband has blocked me. Like what a way to tell me you want a divorce, yo. Like, hey, yeah, I'm just going to block you. But that is just a practical example of how my fucking brain works. I am at my core, even though I am so self-aware, so much more than I was, and I am aware of the fact that I do have an anxious attachment style, and I am actively trying every day to make it a more secure and healthy attachment style, it is ingrained in me that when something happens... Before I can even stop the thought, my brain is like, oh my God, he's leaving. Oh my Jesus, we're going to be alone. We're going to die alone. He's blocked me. He's, And I literally had to stop myself and be like, Sheena, don't be crazy. Your husband hasn't blocked you. But that is just an example of how, how unconscious these thoughts are. That before you have even actively like developed that thought in your head, bam, it's there. Worst case scenario. And why I'm saying this is not to discourage you, but is to try and demonstrate how, 
how important it is to know your attachment style. This is not airy fairy hogwash cuck that doesn't actually exist. This is something that exists. And I know that every single person out there right now is like, holy shit, I didn't realize that I was avoidant or I didn't realize that I was anxious. And as I said, being aware is the first step. And if you can look honestly and objectively at your relationship, if you're in a relationship, and think to yourself, where have I gone wrong? Where have I moved away from a secure attachment style? And where have I treated my partner unfairly? And how can I change that behavior? That is a very, very good place to start. And if you can do that, you can change a relationship that is toxic and is perhaps going through a toxic cycle, as I've explained, that cycle that you will think of, think back to previous relationships. Even if you're not in a relationship right now, think back to your previous failed relationships. And I hate saying failed relationships because no relationship is a failure because every relationship teaches you something and you come out better than you were before or at least with more knowledge than you had before. So I hate using the word failed relationships, but if you look back on your relationships, you can hopefully pinpoint the cycles that you went through. It is very, very, very rare that you will only go through a cycle once. Maybe if one of you has a secure attachment style, by the time you end the cycle the first time, the person with a secure attachment style is like, listen, I'm going to bounce, like I'm out. If not, I can guarantee you, and yes, that's a word, that if you look back, you can notice these cycles that you go through. Sometimes from step one to step seven takes a week. Sometimes step one to step seven takes six months. But I can guarantee you now that you will start recognizing those cycles and you will start recognizing those patterns. So hopefully by this stage, fuck, 56 minutes. How? Fuck. Sorry. <clears throat> hopefully by this stage, you know what your attachment style is, right? Chug, chug, chug. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I got some in my lung. Okay. Now, the next thing is, what do you do when you are in a situation? You can recognize that you are reacting like an asshole. And you don't know what to do about it. Because that's the next question, right? And that's what I've been getting a lot is, okay, Sheena, it's all great and wonderful. You point out the 50 shades of fucked up that I am, but you don't tell me how to fix it. Firstly, I don't know. It's like the blind leading the blind out here, y'all. But this one thing that I saw again on Instagram, guys, and I mean, I will speak about this. We're going to do a whole podcast on vices and addictions. Um, I am on Instagram a lot, Okay, firstly, it is now part of my job. I do social media, but I'm on it a lot. People think that I am watching cuck. I only follow motivational and inspirational and self-help accounts. I find probably 20 to 30 posts per day that are so helpful and so educational and so interesting. And I will then take the concepts that have been put forward in a post and I will go and research them. Of, for my podcast, but also for myself. So it's not always a bad thing, right? And I saw this last night. How to get out of a funk, which is basically the steps that you can go through. And I'll actually, I, um, I'll put this on my page, on my Instagram page. It's the steps that you go through when you feel something, right? So most of the time we will feel an emotion and we will suppress it which is, it, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's what we were taught from when we were little, right? Be, be seen, not heard, shut up and sit down, don't, you know, stop crying, all of those kinds of things. Same thing in a relationship. If you can sense, shit, I can feel, I, can, I know that I'm acting avoidant or I know that I'm acting anxious, what can I do to change it? What can I do to stop in this moment and just take stock? So you start with the feeling. Of course, now my dog must bark. You start with the feeling. So you feel off. You feel something, right? You feel some kind of emotion. You say to yourself, write this down, guys. Firstly, what am I feeling? 
So you identify what you're feeling. And this sounds obvious, right? Fuck me, no one does this. Like, it seems obvious. Sit down and ask yourself, what am I feeling in this moment? I can guarantee you the first few times you do this, you are not even going to be able to name what you are feeling. And you're going to feel dumb. (laughs) But it's because we don't do this. We let our, our emotions overwhelm us and then we suppress them. And we're like, oh, it's gone. Cool. No, it's not gone. It's in your subconscious and now it's going to flare up again and be 10 times worse. So you need to move through your emotions, not around them. So what am I feeling? Name it. Angry, sad, scared, whatever. Okay. Where do I feel it in my body? That is such an important thing. The first time my therapist asked me that, I was like, what? She was like, where do you feel it? When you talk about this experience, when you talk about this emotion, where do you feel it? You're either going to feel it in your belly or in your chest or in your throat or in the back of your head. Sometimes you get pins and needles in your fingers. Sometimes your legs start feeling a little bit strange. You need to pinpoint what you're feeling and where you feel it in your body. Because guess what? Most of the time you feel the same emotion in the same place in your body. So the next time... You, your, your, your heart flutters or your throat closes or your fingers start tingling, you can go, oh shit, I'm obviously feeling anxious or oh, I think I'm feeling scared or mm, like my throat is closing, I think um, I feel betrayed. You need to be able to recognize where you are feeling that in your body. And you will have a physical reaction to an emotion. Don't sit there and be like, oh, I don't feel it anywhere. Bullshit. Get in tune with your body, guys, and your body will tell you things before your mind has even realized what's going on. You will know what emotion you are feeling before your mind has even created the thought, because that is how in tune your body is with what's going on. So what am I feeling? Where do I feel it in my body? If it could talk, this is so important, guys, if it could talk, what would it say? And I can guarantee you that 99% of the time, if you were to listen to the advice that you give yourself in that moment, answering that question, your life will be so much simpler and so much happier. Because instead of thinking with your brain and overanalyzing, your first instinct, when you say, if it could talk, if this emotion could talk, what would it say? Whatever it says, I can guarantee you that that is the right thing to do. That is the advice that you should be taking. Not what your brain makes up and convinces you to do. How am I feeling? Scared. If it could talk, what would it say? Run. Leave the situation. Turn around and never look back. Or whatever. That is what you should be doing. So you need to write this stuff down. What am I feeling? Where do I feel it in my body? If it could talk, what would it say? Most of the time mine is, Sheena, you're a dumbass, but that's just me. What might this be teaching me is question number four. Okay. What might this be teaching me? Because no emotion is random, ever. Your body is trying to tell you something. Your brain is trying to tell you something, whether you want to believe it or not. So you then have to now start guessing. It will be a guess the first couple of times you do this. But after a while, you will start to have that intuition and you will know. What might this be trying to teach me? Number five, what do I need right now? Okay, sometimes I skip that one because most of the time my answer is wine. But what do I need right now? It might be I need a safe space. I need to cry. I need to put my phone off for, for an hour. I need to go for a walk. I need to phone my mom. Okay, what is it that you need right now? Don't think about tomorrow. Don't think about the future. Don't think about what's going to happen a week from now. What do I need right now? What is my body telling me it needs right now? And the last question is, what tiny step can I take to meet my need? So tiny step, guys. We're not going to fix ourselves in one day. It took 30 something years to get this fucked up. Okay, it's not going to take one day to fix it. But... What one tiny step can I take? And it might be meditate for five minutes. Go and punch my boyfriend in the dick. Have a glass of wine. Go for a run. 
read a self-help book, lock myself in the room and go on Instagram. Whatever you feel you need. And by the time you get to that last question, because you have gone through those other questions, you will have a much clearer idea of what you actually need. So that's me. One hour and four minutes. Shit! And I only had one mimosa. I'm so disappointed in myself. I might pour another one and have it sneaky sneaky while I'm editing this. So guys... That is toxic relationships and attachment styles in a nutshell. I hope that this was helpful. I really do. I know that for me, finding out what my attachment style was and recognizing the destructive behaviors that I have in a relationship has really, really, really helped me. And if you know that about yourself, you can help teach and educate your partner if they are wanting and willing to learn. So do some research. I'm going to get this book called Attached. I will read it and I will give you guys feedback on what I think about that book. But I really, really hope that you guys have found this interesting. I hope that you had time this long weekend to listen to my incessant droning for one hour and five minutes. And uh, yeah, I don't know what next week is going to be. I was going to have my best friend on to talk about friendships, but I feel like we haven't quite finished the whole relationship thing. So I'm thinking that next week will probably be um, childhood traumas, core wounds, and recognizing your triggers, which is going to be a very, very, very interesting one. So guys, stay safe. Have an amazing, amazing, amazing day. And until next time, be brave, be messy and be real.